1: It's me, Jimmy Kimmel, here to host the Oscars once again. Just kidding. I'm sorry. I hate lying to you guys. It's actually me, AJ of the Cold Popshire Podcast. I'm once again joined by Richard and Aaron of the Cold Popshire Podcast, and of sort of like this vague gray area that's like he's kind of a host. We call it a sometimes host, but he's also only on the Oscars episode specifically.
2: <laughs> we had him on one other episode.
1: There we go. Well. sometimes host status reinstated um it's aaron um yeah welcome back what are we doing to today tonight
2: tonight this evening this morning well today you may have heard two weeks ago that we Mm. covered five films nominated for best picture now Eagle-eyed viewers out there might have noticed that there are actually ten films nominated for Best oh, Picture this year. So, what? of course, that five was not all of them, and so we have to hmm. cover the other five now. And this is the idea of this is we call this our Oscars cheat sheet, and the idea is that you could just listen to this podcast, and then when you're talking at the water cooler uh, at your at your work, you can. You steal our thoughts pass them off as your own and seem nerdy. because who has time to watch all 10 films nominated for the Oscars that's right us three do but you don't because you live a very exciting life I'm sure so th- the film and
1: may I say that that blouse looks excellent on you
2: <laughs> okay AJ keep it in your place
1: what I can't
2: <laughs> I
1: can't compliment your blouse
2: <laughs> can't say anything these days so the it's interesting um aaron and i were talking the other day that inadvertently we kind of divided it into like the big films and the smaller films um more like in that terms really? of budget and, and stuff but yeah like feels like you know we had like oppenheimer barbie i mean kills of the flower moon being a scorsese film feels like it's an advent picture in a way um mm. and you know i mean yorgos lanthimos is like Almost becoming that you were talking about the how poor things has been, and then there was Maestro as well, which is you know, the the Netflix is one big release and they put a lot of money behind that. Whereas we've got a lot smaller films, um, this year. The ones that I, I feel like all five of those you could have predicted a year ago, well, they'll probably be nominated for Best Picture, you know, unless they're terrible films with that talent behind it are going to be nominated whereas these ones are the ones that kind of came from nowhere
1: and in the case of maestro it was terrible and still got nominated so it goes to show you can't really you really don't know anything in this crazy little game we call hollywood
2: (laughs) whereas these are films that a year ago we might not have even known Would exist or the you know there'd be a small press release somewhere that we didn't understand that they'd make the kind of splash that they did so the films we're going to be talking about today are the zone of interest past lives the holdovers american fiction and anatomy of a fall and in between those we'll talk about some of the awards um, that who we think they might go to but yeah to break down the first film What we're going to do is a long-standing tradition here on the Cop Option Podcast where I'm going to count down from three to one. And then out of those five specifically, we're going to say our least favorite, not Best Picture nominee. Out of those five, and just to reiterate, those five are (laughs) Zone of Interest, (laughs) Past Lives, The Holdovers, American Fiction, and Anatomy of a Fall. So... And we're not talking about the ones from last week. We're not talking out of all ten. Okay, we're just talking no, out of so those this five. this isn't a
1: ranking. <laughs> this ranking needs to be sandwiched with our other ranking from last mm. week. Okay, and I'm expecting the listeners to to, to pick up the slack here. I think.
2: It's their job. <laughs> so yeah. So also, this doesn't necessarily, you know, last week it was like, well, we thought one of them was pretty bad. This week, we don't necessarily think one of them is pretty bad. Uh, but we will say. I disagree. Of, oh. I do too. I wonder if it's the same. <laughs> I don't think it will be. I think
3: you're going to be like, it was the holdovers there and I hated it. You hyped it up too much and I hated it.
2: Yeah, this this, I feel like this first one is going to be a two against one. Uh, mm. And I'm interested to see which way it falls. If, which two if, against? If, if one I'm of the, if I'm the one or if I'm the two. So yeah, All right. Yeah. <laughs> Three, two, one. The zone American of interest. Said,
1: no, you guys are fucked. Man. <laughs> <laughs> what are you
3: talking?
4: It? It. <laughs> You're oh, I'm the two.
3: <laughs> you
1: guys are tasteless. Take go back to your go back to your Avengers in games.
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> How dare you? I, I I knew AJ's would be American fiction, and then I I just wasn't sure which way Aaron was going to lean. So yes, we will talk about zone of interest first because AJ, you have been outvoted out of interest and for you, therefore
1: wrong, <laughs> therefore objectively incorrect. Yep. AJ. Out
2: of interest, hmm? out of zone of interest for you, AJ. Mm. Where does this rank out of the five for you?
1: I've ranked this fifth.
2: Out of these five, so
1: out of these five, yeah, that's what I've I fucking it, asked you, dipshit. <laughs> I think you mean out of the ten Oscar nominees. I've ranked this third out of the okay, uh, third five out of Good third Lord. out. Of, and listen, out of the five we're talking about today, not the ten Oscars altogether. Not the. You 10 think this
3: will get altogether. the bronze when it comes to the ceremony? What do
1: think only if first, it was talking third. about this specific five movies. Yes, I think it would get the bronze. <laughs>
2: Okay, so uh, just some uh, background on Zone of Interest. Uh, So it's directed by Jonathan Glazer, who's directed a few films, very avant-garde kind of films, but uh, also had a big history directing music videos, famously did the Jamiroquai uh, Virtual Insanity Walking dancing rearranging furniture video um so yeah he's sexy beast under the skin was his most recent film uh those are two different films just so you know no
1: one no one i was thinking about this no one ever mentions what his second film was birth earth okay i didn't know literally oh birth well never mind uh
2: but yeah he's he's done some great music videos um karma police radiohead great music video Uh, rabbit in your headlights I'm featuring Tom York. That's a great music video. Um mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Don't
3: care for his fucking dog shit film. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about, AJ? You ranked him third out of all ten Oscars. <laughs> no,
1: no, no.
2: <laughs> so uh yeah. And
1: it's funny because like I ranked it fifth out of all ten Oscars, which like, you know, comparatively is, is the same thing as third, but I will make my opinions as clear as I can.
3: Hey, you, you say that to someone who came fifth in an Olympic race. I'm sure they'd take third <laughs> of a fifth any day. <laughs> yeah, that's
4: so true.
2: this is nominated for a few films. Best Picture, Director, Adapted... A few films? A few... You, you, oh, you, you fucking
4: know. idiot! <laughs> uh, nominated for a you few awards. You literal child! <laughs> uh,
2: Best Picture, Best Director, Adapted Screenplay, International Feature Film, and Best Sound. It's interesting because it's the international feature film, but the the country is the UK. Um, but it's because it's, mm. you know, they're not America and it's also in a foreign language. But the, uh, we'll get to some of these awards in a second, but yeah, adapted screenplay. This is adapted from a book by uh, Martin Amos, who died the day of the film's premiere, 19th of May, As, 2023. Because he watched
3: you- it and he was like, it's so bad.
2: I've given up on life. Is
1: that- <laughs> so, so, do you know what, what else he, what other like uh luck he had with his his books in hollywood i
2: i saw there was like a graphic but i didn't yeah. read all of it so the th- there was a small two- png that had four sentences on it and i was like oh, i get the gist yeah, of yeah yeah
1: so so he had another film that was adapted into a feature film like 20 years ago and it, it has the distinction of having like zero percent on Tomatoes or something like it is it is it was you know received very poorly um he lives the rest of like his life nothing's happening and then they adapt the zone of interest and he dies the day it comes out yeah and now it's so like he never saw it get all of the accolades that it
2: doesn't deserve. So it, um- <laughs>
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> you
1: go- this is a we need to acknowledge how sensitive the subject matter of this film is. I think y- you guys need to be maybe a little more, uh, a little less callous on. Your okay, own yeah, you- you're, you're
2: right. Great. I that is I-, great. I think I- I'm coming from this from a place that dislikes Nazis so much I can't enjoy a film about I them. I see. I see. So uh, Aaron's
1: like, speak Uh, for yourself. um."
3: (laughs) (laughs) Big Nazi guy, not a big art house cinema guy. No. um, (laughs) See, I don't, I think my problem with the film is just like more kind of like around it being made and the kind of politics of the film, to be honest. Mm. Like it's, I don't know, it was kind of a boring film, but like ultimately I think my problem is more about like the idea of making a film like this now more than anything you know yeah
4: just really? j- j- just to give I a little
2: context that- sorry uh, before I, I'll go and come to you in a second be, AJ I, but uh yeah, if yeah. you if you're not familiar with the film because this is one of the ones that's uh, the least sort of publicized it was like impossible to see for the longest time for um, I
1: saw it Twenty-four hours ago, at a preview screening, mm. I had to get on a wait list to see because we had to record this tonight. Oh, yeah, but the uh,
2: but it's about like a Rudolf Hoss, who was a real guy, and I'll mention that in a sec. But he was the commandment, uh, a commander of Auschwitz, commandant. commandant of Auschwitz, and the film is essentially just outside the wall of the concentration camp, him trying to live a normal life with his family. And yeah, it's very almost like slice of lifey. There's a few major things that happen, but it's, you know, he has to move away for a while and then he ends up being able to move back. But it's like, it's, the 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 drama of the film is more about the juxtaposition of like what is happening right behind that wall and uh again if you haven't seen the film and you want to talk as if you have the whole point of the film is you never see what's going on behind the wall but you you hear it and i see what I mentioned some of the awards later on but like the reason this is nominated for best picture is because of its sound design like Without the sound design, this film is nothing. And we talked like pretty like, oh yeah, of course, Oppenheimer will win sound next, uh, last week, well, two weeks ago, but not before any of us had seen this film. But now it seems like this is the shoe-in, right? That it's like, mm. this film that's not made of the best picture only works because of its sound design. Mm.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you agree that it's uh, incredible, Richard. <laughs> it sounded like a very glowing review.
4: <laughs> what the hell
1: happened? <laughs> <I'm> no, <laughs> no one picked up what I put down and we all just waited yeah. for someone else to come. That was us reenacting a scene from Zone of Interest. Yeah. It was
3: us scene. Reenacting the bit after the title sequence where it's like black and silent for like maybe a minute and a half yeah. and Aaron was sitting in the cinema like Should we get someone? Is
4: this uh, <laughs> <laughs> weird?" Yeah, yeah, and I was yeah. I
2: I was the barrier between Aaron and this woman, my God. <laughs> Couldn't hear, like, so I was telling you, this film lives and dies on its soundscape. Here's my impression of what it sounded like to me. And I'm going to also, I'm going to pan this to one side so you can hear it exactly how I heard it. And then occasionally like a. And I was this, this woman sitting next to me loudest breather I've I've heard in my entire fucking life. It drove me insane. She was nervous! And it was like <laughs> a, a, an hour into the film, I realised I, I had AirPods in my pocket and I put one in that side and it blocked it out and I was able to enjoy uh, the sights and sounds of... Uh, zone of interest for once finally
4: <laughs>
3: there's yeah. something to be said about that eh like cause the the guy on my left was like eating just like smashing popcorn the whole mm. like periodically mm. throughout the whole movie and mm. it's like did you, you like you know what you're going in for you're going in to like watch a harrowing kind of uh, yeah. world war 2 movie like who buys popcorn and like a can of coke and opens it like halfway through so you just get the like uh, yeah whoosh-
1: i was that guy at my screening i have to say i'm pretty good um, at like ti- I, I, I like I to time it <laughs> until
2: the loudest points of the film like of which yeah.
1: there were none in this one
2: <laughs> so- <laughs> you, you wait for dialogue at least rather than just like the silent walking around yeah, yeah, scenes yeah, yeah. so it's like you know you've got maybe 10 of the film when there's actually stuff going on um and then the rest but yeah sorry aj i, I cut you off earlier and uh, i'd like to hear your thoughts
1: yeah man so one thing I'll say I have I have like a hot take for what would, this would be an interesting film to pair with in a double feature
4: mm.
1: <clears throat> I think the reason I liked this so much is because it reminded me of yet another somewhat divisive film that came out recently. This editorially, but not subject matter wise, is very similar to Skin the Rink, the horror movie oh. where it, it's just shots of corners of rooms for for two hours. Um, a movie I loved because of its editing, and the editing in *The Zone of Interest* is that same like watch as nothing happens for for an hour 45 or however long it is um and i thought it was brilliant i thought it was so good it was so um uh evocative it was so avant-garde uh, heart, uh, avant-garde uh. it was so heartbreaking and and moments like some of it was like fuck this is hard stuff to watch and the i the, agree the, the <laughs> <laughs> There's there's a big stretch of the film where it's basically like, what's the most creative way that Jonathan Glazer can communicate the horrific idea at the center of the film without words you know so it might be like the kids are playing in the pool and then beyond the wall you see the the smoke billowing from a train that's arriving at Auschwitz you know so it's it's that's the film everybody the film is you're seeing some some idyllic home life but then if you look in the background you will see the evidence of holocaust activities happening in the background or hearing it happen in the background that's what the mo- most of the the film is about um richard seems honestly disrespectfully <laughs> distracted uh, right now by his cat who just popped on his lap while i'm speaking of the horrors of war
2: jess is also being um, very silly just outside of camera
1: not the film in a- inappropriately
2: silly. so
1: right? <laughs> wow um would anyway, you say
3: something very interesting is going on outside off-screen? of the frame? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. Listen
1: to me. Listen, you boys are both intelligent and intellectual enough that surely your criticism isn't. Everything was happening out of out of sight. Surely you guys can appreciate no, the so, artistic validity in it all being about what you don't hear and yeah, what's not. So said, my right? biggest,
2: yeah, exactly. My but like. It's one of these films where it's like, I'm I'm willing to, I, I agree with people on what they're praising. Like sound sound design's incredible. And I think a lot of the ideas presented are really clever. I will say one thing that I sort of disagree with, uh, that I actually disagree with people on is the, um, a lot of people said like, oh, the flash forward to like the modern day museum, that just didn't work for me. Like it, it wasn't the like click, everything works that I, think the film wanted it to be and you know that that's for any number of reasons that it didn't work for me because i I normally love that i was waiting for a moment for it to click but the thing is that i my actual like legitimate criticism of the film is that this could have been a short film and i think that it's like
1: (laughs) have you seen under the skin uh i have not Uh, Should have been a short film.
2: Um,
1: (laughs) That is that is a a almost a director's trait kind of situation. But
2: so so and not in just the sense that like you know it's easy to be like oh this film was boring so it should have been shorter. But it's more like once you establish it and what's going on and what the tone of the film is going to be and all this, it it never went further with that justify its runtime like 20 minutes and 20 30 minutes into the film I had gotten everything out of the film I was going to get out of the film Mm -hmm. um and so and yeah like maybe yeah the the modern day stuff was just lost on me or whatever and that but you know you could have had that 30 minutes into the film and then credits roll and great film um yeah that's that's my sort of
1: I don't even necessarily disagree with with conceptually that this didn't need to be as long as it was, but I also found it. It's also not very long. It's only yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. Mm. Like
1: like I, if if this was a three hour film and had the exact same start point and end point, I would be like, okay, come on, like like surely some editing can happen here. But I think an hour forty or however long it is was like. Uh, that, that, to me, was how long I was willing to give mm. the concept, I think. What do you think, Aaron?
3: Yeah, I think, I mean, you're right in the sense that, like, it's it's like a viscerally effective film in the sense that, like, when I went to sleep that night, I, like, was kind of getting awake by... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> to the dulcet tones of some guy smashing popcorn beside <laughs> me. Uh, it was like white noise. Nah, He's started um, about me. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This whole time has been about Richard. <laughs> Why do you bring the can of Coke? That's what I want to know. Why do you open? Why do you it open it halfway through? <laughs> I'm not paying uh, movie prices for this. <laughs> Nah, um, seriously, though. Um, yeah, it kept me awake, like, with weird dreams that night because it was, like, viscerally effective kind of thinking about it. But I think my problem with this, and I think it's my problem with a lot of movies that are kind of, like, about Nazis recently, is that, like, like I get the gambit in that you're kind of, you're showing, essentially, the lives of these people in order to, one, like sort of show how people can be ignorant of crises or, like, you know, participate in an evil situation system in a very sort of um you know uh, boring kind of a way um but i think ultimately the the problem with that i guess and the problem with like not putting the suffering of the people who w- suffered like front and center is that like ultimately you're kind of like Putting the audience in a position where they like watch this German people's lives and you kind of naturally have this impulse towards empathy, like not necessarily for what they're doing, but just for them as people. The so ma- I think the in main some ways, characters. They're the yeah, main characters. exactly. Yeah. They're the main characters. So naturally you're going to be on their side. And I think that's like really kind of a difficult thing is that ultimately what the film does um, in contrast to what the, the the director's intention is, is that like it, it kind of has you like sympathize or like open your mind towards Nazism. Whereas like what the the point of the movie is to kind of express to you, you know, how evil people can be in a very laissez-faire way. And I think, I don't know, I think that that's kind of my problem with it and my problem with like this kind of i don't know the last three or four years of like nazi fun nazi movies (laughs) is like you kind of lessen the impact or the the importance of the event by being like well how do we humanize the nazis it's like well like it's It's really not their story and it's not like,
2: yeah. I I get that like the immediate rebuttal to that would be that you're not supposed to sympathize with or empathize in any way with the characters of the film. But I get what you, what you, where you're coming from with like, just as a film goer, you, you know, the main character is your main character. um, It's human nature. Yeah, exactly. But it's like, um, but then, you know, even if it's like, well, okay, I, you know, we established at the start. I don't like Nazis, and so it's like, how how long can you actually watch a film where you detest the main character that much, where they have no redeeming qualities? Like, you know, there there are films with like um, with anti heroes or like people that you love to hate. You know, like think about like Uncut Gems was the first thing that came to mind. Like a film where you are supposed to dislike the protagonist and you enjoy watching him be detestable, whereas like Rudolf Hoss is like a real guy and and interestingly i was was reading about this that the zone of interest the novel is a is a fictional um family and it's about him like trying to woo someone i think as well it's not not even just necessarily a family this is based on you reading a couple of lines of text but interesting that like Rudolf hoss is like was a real dude one of the most evil you know uh commandants of Nazi Mm -hmm. Germany. And like he, he was hanged at Auschwitz for his crimes. They built a gallows specifically to hang him there because he more than anyone deserved to die at this place that he created so much evil. And it's like, that's a more interesting story. The fact that like what I, everything I just said about him being hanged at Auschwitz is more interesting than like, did you know he almost threw up in the stairs one time? (laughs)
1: <laughs> so it was funny at the start of this conversation Aaron I was like oh, I'm going to go for the throat bro I'm going to make you like morally compromised in your dislike of this film because you you were like why do we need an, a movie now that's about nazis and I was like I'm going to cancel you and then you shifted the conversation to basically now I have to be like I like Nazis more than you, and that's why I like the film. She like, <laughs> like shifted the goalposts. You, you shifted you changed the game as I as I lived and breathed. But I I think that your problem the problem that you guys have just sort of both um enunciated there, I think you're halfway to to, to, to getting it. Apologies for the patronizing way of putting it.
2: Get fucked. <laughs> <laughs> you can get fucked you
3: can get absolutely fucked
1: i my interpretation of this film was i was initially so like horrified that it's like they're doing this you know they're just a normal family and you can hear screams in the background as people are being killed in, in auschwitz right and I'm saying this as I'm sitting in a in a comfy chair, eating popcorn very loudly, mm. and sipping at my kombucha very loudly.
2: So um, essentially, because it's almost like, who's the real evil?
1: Who's the real evil? <laughs> um, no, no. But like, I am, I am living a life of luxury while you know comparable crimes are happening <laughs> in the world right now. Right? Wait, wait. We just say yes. comparable
2: what, crimes. Yeah. Are you saying comparable to you eating your popcorn loudly?
1: Comparable to World War Two okay. is what I'm, I'm saying. Because
2: okay. so I was um, like, "God damn, AJ! <laughs>
1: God, AJ! It's just a bit of popcorn." Yeah, it was more carbs than you usually allow for the stuff you eat these days, but it wasn't terrible. It was only but you're
3: balancing it out with some kombucha, so like
1: yeah. My gut bacteria has never been better. (laughs) Um, So what? What I guess I'm saying is, is like I think the point of the film is to like, is is that that like really. not you know not averting the gaze kind of like Hmm. um sinking into showing truly the mundanity of life that can happen the banality of evil the banality of evil and that flash forward at the end what i loved so much about it is like as it happened i was literally just thinking like god and now it's like someone's busy work at their job is to like to wipe down the bench at an Auschwitz concentration camp museum, like it is now, with it is now like um, a museum that you know, like, and the the vacuuming happening at this museum mm. is also mundane. Well, that, that's you know, the thing. Like the, the whole the, film's
2: about compartmentalization and compartmentalization. it still happens, but in a different way. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I think I think yeah, like what you said about us not getting it, like in that like real patronising way you said it, that like <laughs> we. I can appreciate all of that. Yeah. It doesn't mean that I have to have enjoyed my I just hour forty five. It should have
1: been three and a half minutes
4: long. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but yeah, it's just like like I can I can get all of these things. It, that doesn't necessarily just because a film is smart, it doesn't mean that I have to enjoy it yeah
3: Mm. and also like i get it i get what you're going what he was going for like the director like i get all of it but i just Mm. don't think that's actually what's happening you know like i think you're making all of these points like very kind of strongly but i think Mm. what's actually happening subconsciously when you sort of come back from that like in a person's brain is that like Mm. you're essentially yeah you're you were one making like nazism more sort of mundane which i guess is the point is that like anybody could participate in this kind of system but like you're also reducing it to like you know the point where you're like oh i could see how i could become a nazi which is like you know kind of disturbing. But you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of disturbing to think about that. Like, you know, maybe, maybe a person who's kind of sitting on the fence is like, Oh, these are not bad people. (laughs) I I, I think it's with that. Like
2: you, you, it forces you to see the parallels between your own life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying, I'm saying that like, it feels like a call to action to try and, and make a change in the world because, Look at how complacent we've always been right next to the horrors of man, and that's happening now in all sorts of horrible ways, right? Like that, yeah, I know, that's, popcorn. I'm eating my popcorn, <laughs> it's horrible stuff, it's grisly stuff, guys. Shall we move on? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> talking about zone of interest,
2: yes. So, uh, let's go over a couple of the awards. So, interestingly, zone of interest is it's nominated for best international feature film but anatomy of a fall isn't um so mm. being that those are the two foreign films nominated for best picture presumably zone of interest is going to win that one um which is cuz
3: they just didn't get nominated by the french academy or something like that eh? yeah
2: the the french have been notoriously bad at what films to put forward <laughs>
3: yeah that happened was it last year or the year before with like was it was a girl on fire or and That's
2: they put right, forward yeah. like uh their lemurs best original screenplay anatomy of a fall the holdovers maestro may december past lives
1: i may december is the last movie from last year that i still have like on my watch list and there are so many best picture noms i've seen this year that have made me go are you telling me that this is considered to be better than May December? This movie, I've heard nothing but like yeah. intense praise Like it's it's topping so many people's lists, mm. and that's the that's the one not cracking into best. Uh, yeah, best
2: picture. I, I, like yeah, I loved May December. I would say that out of like the y films that didn't get nominated or many nominations i would say i would put may december and the iron claw as well in the top half of these nominees if they were nominated like i prefer them I to also, half of them
1: yeah i would also say the same for all of us strangers which is like this weird example where it's like this has all the traits of mm. like all the even all the bad traits of a best picture nominee or nominee <laughs> you know and that's not in there
2: mm. Uh, But yeah, I I would love to see original screenplay go to past lives, I think, because Mm -hmm. there's so few nominations Mm -hmm. and, you know, we'll Mm -hmm. get to it shortly, but that's the one that I would want to see that one. And then adapted screenplay, you got American fiction, Barbie, Oppenheimer, poor things and zone of interest and feels like this will probably just be part of the Oppenheimer sweep if that ends up happening.
1: Mm -hmm. Hmm. There you go. So,
2: yeah we'll get to the actors in just a moment but first we have to go our second least favorite out of these five taking zone of interest out of it okay are we all clear all right. on the rules well, I, just,
1: I'm, I imagine i'm probably going to be saying the same thing for a few of these rounds
2: <laughs> until we agree with i you. don't reckon you will
3: I okay, think we might be looking Someone's at Someone's
1: got a card up this.
3: <laughs> uh, Let's just say I like to be in a peer
2: <laughs> uh, Alright three, two, one. 2,
1: American, American fiction. fiction
2: A tie between American Fiction and uh of <laughs> A tie, a dead tie yeah. Damn. So American Fiction Uh AJ, do you want to tell us what this is about? And don't be all snippy when you do it, AJ. Okay,
3: so here's what it's about. <laughs> you just didn't get it, AJ. I think you're this... halfway to getting it. <laughs>
1: um, this movie is about a an, a sort of struggling author um, who's struggling to be taken seriously, played play by Jeffrey Wright. Who wants to get like his next book published, but he's got all sorts of troubles ailing him. Um, And one day he hears of this really new, uh, really new, really popular new book um, written by a fellow African American author. He's, I didn't mention, well, I guess I mentioned it was Jeffrey Wright. So um, people can put two and two
4: together.
1: (laughs) Um, And the book basically is like written in very stereotypical, african-american slang and
2: it's called wheeze lives in da ghetto
1: yeah and so this character his name he goes by monk um he decides that the way to get ahead in the in the novel industry is that he's got to lean in and uh writes a book called um what's it's called my My pathology initially and then halfway through the movie he changes the title to fuck
4: <laughs> um,
1: and uses uses a pseudonym um and it's yeah it's 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 him intentionally upping the it's like the a producer's speech. kind of thing yeah yeah and everyone loves it and and he it ends up winning the competition he's a, he's been hired as a judge to judge um and that is a that's what I think most of this movie should have been about. I, whenever it was about what I just said, I more or less liked it. But boy, is it few and far between we get those moments because a lot of the film is about. Uh, at the start of the film, his sister dies of like a heart attack, and it's about their their broken family kind of coming together in in the wake of that. And he starts a relationship with a neighbor in, in his like mum's hometown because that's where he is. I, I don't know. Him. It's Boston, it's Boston. like, yeah, I I gave this three stars, I want to just specify, I, do, I didn't hate it or anything, I, the only one of these I really didn't like was Maestro, this was cool, Um, mm. I thought parts of it were super funny, but I feel like the the family drama stuff d- distracted from the much more interesting concept that the trailer sold me. Mm. Um,
2: so I legitimately, can- AJ, I think you didn't fully get it, and you only half got it. Yeah. Can I say why? Why?
3: Why I think you only half got it. Maybe you didn't half get it. There's nothing to necessarily get. But this is like my thoughts on the movie, right? Mm -hmm. Is that like, so essentially what the movie does and what the book in the movie does are two very like similar things, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So like the book is essentially... A, like a piece for for white people to like get what mm. they 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 kind of want to see from uh, African American culture and that's like he kind of writes that as like an F you to like you like you, you white people only want to come and see like you know like read about the people living in the ghetto and having tough times and like how the movie kind of operates is that the trailer kind of sells you a liberal white person on this like concept I, 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 for a movie and right
1: a left wing I'm not, let's, let's
3: continue. <laughs> um yeah, it sells you on this like specific concept for a movie which is like kind of a very um interesting fun topic which is kind of like intellectual uh, African-American story which sort of sits in a very modern way about deconstructing things yeah, but totally. actually when you get into the movie what you're delivered is the, th- the very thing that the book says you're not interested in mm-hmm. which is like a, a, a wholesome story about an African-American family just living their lives mm-hmm. and dealing with struggles that are very similar to like you or me and that's like what I thought was amazing about the film is because it's like actually what the film does is kind of what the book in the film does it's kind of like this trojan
2: yeah. horse thing mm. yeah. um and, but aj before you get a chance to respond i want to now do my thoughts on the film um is that <laughs> like uh it's interesting because i said it's a tie between anatomy before and this and that's not like oh god which one do i like less it's like fuck these two are like both on pretty both pretty high esteem for me um zone of interest is a good film that i didn't love maestro i didn't like poor things is similar it's like a good thing a good film i didn't love but like the rest of the films we have to talk about including american fiction i loved like mm-hmm. I, I i thought this was great and i think it's the the story of just like the you know the 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 Disposable plot that you um well you didn't call it that, but I'm putting words in your mouth. Um
1: Do you want me to say it? Yes. Just so that yeah, yeah, I'll know. I'll insert it <laughs> in it. It's got a just a disposable plot. Yeah, go.
2: well AJ, I, I wouldn't exactly call it disposable.
1: AJ I actually think it was basically
4: <laughs> <you said> <laughs> But
2: yeah, like it's the thing, because the whole f- film, and there's this interesting conversation at the end when he actually talks to Santara, who's Issa Rae's character, who is the author of Wee's Lives in the Ghetto. And he sort of says like, hey, just can I ask you about your book? Um, isn't it just fucking pandering bullshit? Like, like this book, fuck, that who knows who's written it? And... <laughs> she says like you know i did all this research i interviewed these people and the whole time he's showing you like you're being shown his story and it's like this is because he's so intelligent that's the whole thing it's like your books are so intelligent just they're not selling and he thinks like god i live such a unique life and uh and he's almost being hypocritical in a way that like the black experience isn't Wheeze lives in the ghetto. It's my life. And he's showing you that life on, in the film, but then mm. who's to say the main characters of Wheeze lives in the ghetto are any less real than mm. you like that. That's the counter argument. Um, and yeah. so I think, you know, we are being given all this context for like his frustration and, and why he results to this. And, and yeah, I, I also, it actually kind of reminded me of, um, the Medea films, in a way, is that like <laughs> every Medea. <All> right. f-
1: <laughs> Richard's now the most likely to be cancelled out. Of the of it was me yeah. for a long time. <laughs> Whoa! But
3: the really snatched defeat from the jaws of victory
1: here. <laughs> eh?
2: But the thing is that
1: snatched, snatched, snatched cancelling from the jaws of woke. But the <laughs> and,
2: and- no, 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 in the sense that. Um
3: <laughs> did you just go
2: British for a second? Yeah, I was doing Kelly Kelly Osbourne. Um <laughs> quite oh, a man.
4: Right.
2: But the oh, I see. I see. that like and I think this is just one of those things that's like a different like like it's literally is just a different culture. And that like the Tyler Perry and Medea films have like this you know, what this hilarious uh character at the centre of them who goes on a wacky adventure and that is the writing of my pathology later retitled fuck and but then Mm. around that is actually this family drama like if like is in every Madea film and also on this Mm. and I and part of me you know with with less exposure to like african-american cinema that it's like yeah that that seeing this arise as like almost a trope
1: Mm. yeah Let's talk about some other films it's similar to, because I think that's where most of my conversational um, coal lies to be fuel for the podcast. Um, I think this is very similar to a movie I love called Sorry to Bother You. Both are about like adopting a persona that is not you to get ahead in life, and both prominently feature African-American characters. Characters and the African American experience. Uh, I also think it's very similar to adaptation, the mm. Nicolas Cage, Charlie Kaufman film, it's a the film ending. which especially the ending a film which i also don't like despite everyone else loving Love for the film. same reason that i don't like american fiction and that the i get the both both the movies that go like do you get it the thing they're writing about is the thing we're separating or highlighting in their struggle and in both films i find the disparity between the two things um is too much and i and for so an adaptation when the whole thing is like i've got to write a good ending and then the ending of the film is so bombastic and i get again i get it i'm not halfway there i get that that's the point is that it's out of place <laughs> i just would have rather seen a story a normal movie well, like have a normal ending. hanging
2: up. a lampshade on lazy writing doesn't fix it
1: exactly um I also think that this is similar to uh, Mrs. Doubtfire in a way because there's some like invited two dates to the same prom sitcom energy in some points where he's got to be both characters that he's, you know, himself and the author he's created You know, at the same place. But then, Richard, and Richard, all roads lead here. And Aaron, I'm sorry to drag you in. This is also very similar to a little movie no one else but me and Richard has seen called World's Greatest Dad, (laughs) uh, which was a Robin Williams film. And the reason I'm laughing is that it's such a like under the radar film that we we mention every two
2: podcasts
1: constantly (laughs) on the podcast. Neither of us would have seen it in probably five years either. Have you seen it? So it's not like.
3: absolutely not no
1: so so it's we bring it up a lot because it's a movie that has like a brilliant idea but it's not a very well executed movie But, but in short it's about um a failed writer who whose son dies auto asphyxiating himself. And his son, who was to, just
2: the biggest cunt as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh and, and in
1: order to to like hide the shame of his son dying this way, he writes a fake suicide note, which leaks, and everyone's like, "This is so beautifully written." And this, I can't believe he was such becomes, a tortured soul. Um, yeah. and and so, none so of us he,
2: knew. So he he writes a book of yeah. his son's poetry, quote unquote.
1: Yeah. yeah so finally being recognized a similar film as well. Um, and all of that, um, I think it like it's it's made me feel like you I, I view this film through this unique lens of this like micro genre that we have discovered that you know you know how in the 90s all those comedies the 90s and there were so many mrs doubtfire clones that were basically like the dad of the family is lying about something massive to the rest of the family in order to go he's on got his own daddy's whatever. daycare and, exactly and then halfway through it's inevitable he's gonna get found out that kind of thing mm. um and I, I had this, and I don't like that feeling, and I had that feeling watching a lot of this movie. And also, one of the uh, Letterboxd review I read for it compared it to Wayne's World and said, is this the only Best Picture nominee to have a Wayne's World ending? Because it ends mm. with him trying to end the book, and he's like, what if it ends this way? What if it ends this way? And it gets more and more ridiculous. Yeah, Which I, I, I really, actually didn't like. I, so. I loved
2: the ending of it. Um, Interesting. I will also say as well that um, so Adam Brody plays, uh, like, the the film exec who you know misunderstands the book and is gonna adapt it into a movie and, and all this stuff but i just i i love how adam brody is just like hollywood's go-to guy for being like the straw man that like he's in he's in promising young woman and it's like it, it seems like adam brody gets it you know that he he mm. understands he writes this he reads a script about how all men are predators and he's like yeah they are i'll be one of them i'll lean into that stereotype he does that in jennifer's body as well and then like in american I, fiction can i
1: just say i would love to do that as a as a male yeah. feminist actor to, to be like a vessel for that i yeah. think that would be so fun yeah and well
2: there's also like max greenfield who played schmidt and he's also unpromising young mm. woman is in what men want and that was one of his first big roles after schmidt and he was like, he initially said no because he's like, oh, I don't want to, you know, just be typecast. And then realized like, oh, the the message is more important. And I get that I'm the perfect person to be mm. the vessel for that <laughs> message. Um,
1: it's the most valuable thing an actor can do is realize what they can. Be what everyone made thinks fun of you yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look at look at some of this. I think we can point to some A-listers who cottoned on to that. You know,
4: yeah.
3: Be my guest. Point point to them right now oh, I do mean, it. Oh, do it right well, now well, and this
1: is oh, real Brody? dumb but it's, it's <laughs> the 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 depths of it are the most interesting as i think mel gibson in daddy's home too when
2: you when you said a film that only richard and i have seen and we bring up a lot i was go, i was going to say daddy's home too <laughs> well
1: mel gibson in that film is like what people think of mel gibson and i always thought it was interesting that he was that he is like yes, this is what people think of me. I will use that to mm. make this film better. I don't Ryan know. I just, Gosling's I seen it kind of, kind of dumb done.
2: It. I was gonna say Ryan Gosling as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally, In totally.
3: Barbie, particularly, is kind of an example of that, mm. right?
2: Yeah, I'll play the dumb himbo. But um, but yeah, no. I mean, American Fiction is a, sim- a similar film. It, yeah, while we're comparing it to things like um, May December, where you have to meet it on its terms and understand what the sense of humor is quite quickly or you will mm. miss the fact that it's a comedy mm. like may december has a very and like without spoiling anything it's things like it uses a score from a film from like the 70s which is like very very dramatic and very tongue in cheek so it'll be things like i don't think we have enough hot dogs but Boom, bah, boom. And, then it, like, and then it cuts uh, to like a grill full of hot dogs. And it's shit like that, that I saw reviews where people are like, score was real out of place. It's like, no, no, it's supposed to be out of place. You're supposed to yeah. find that funny. And um, I said to you while I was watching it, AJ, that American fiction is like, it's very like New Yorker sense of humor. And I don't mean mm. people that live in the state. A, I mean- A
1: humorist. Yeah, a humorist. It, it's, it's yes, that sexy. very
2: like, you- yeah, you, you you appreciate the wit of it more than you laugh at it. But I, I there were plenty of laugh out loud moments, especially like the, the main. A lot of it came from Jeffrey Wright's discomfort at having to play what was it, Stag, um, the the writer.
1: Stag R. Lee, yeah. Is it? Yeah.
3: Uh, speaking of Jeffrey Wright, what did you guys think of that as a performance? Did you think it was a good performance, a great performance, a middling performance?
1: It reminded me of Fraser Crane. It was like a black Fraser Crane.
4: Hmm. <laughs> yeah, as, but as Richard isn't...
1: said, it's it's a New Yorker sense of humor. Yeah. It's it's you you go into like a smoky bar at like midnight in New York, and there's someone sitting on stage reading from a notebook, and it's this, and film, it's Black, Black Fraser Crane. Yeah, it's Black Fraser <laughs> Crane. <laughs> Although he probably he'd be in a smoky
2: bar in Seattle, I believe. But the mm-hmm. um, you go to... no,
1: he's he's shifted for the <laughs> oh, revival yeah, series. But so. you
2: go to Seattle and um. You go into the gift shops and everything has the Sleeps of Seattle, Fraser, or I think is it ER or Crazy Anatomy? One of the two is set in Seattle. And it's like those three logos on everything. But it's like, welcome to Seattle. But it's the Fraser logo. <laughs> right.
4: Um,
2: I, I thought it was a good performance. And Starbucks everywhere. yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It's not like a virtuoso performance, like a lot, you know, I guess when you think about um, Oscar worthy performances, you kind of might be tend, tend to think of the virtuosic mm. Daniel Day-Lewis. I drink your I magic. Your you um, cannot
2: reason with a tiger while your head is in its mouth. Yeah, shouting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some exactly. people would refer to that as <laughs> shouting.
1: I didn't think Some he was a good was actor acting. in this because he didn't shout at any point. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, but it's not like a hugely, you know, like emotion, like big peaks of emotion mm. kind There's of. There's no big it's Oscar more, scene. Yeah. yeah, no. It's more kind of like subtle. Kind of sits in the, the zone, kind of the whole of time. Interest. Yes, the, the the zone of interest, My which favorite we weren't interested.
1: My favourite joke in American fiction is when they're, they're emptying his sister's ashes into the ocean yeah. and some busy busybody neighbour comes along as it goes, are those human remains? And his brother, played by Sterling K. Brown, is like, fuck off,
2: Robert!
1: <laughs> like, and then Jeffrey Ryan, who's at the shoreline, <laughs> yeah, looks back like, and he's like, away from yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was great. And also, yeah, Sterling K. Brown's also nominated for um, Supporting Actor... Um,
1: he's great. I, I probably, yeah. That's, the, yeah. He was, he was the best
2: character. He's great. Yeah, and yeah. um, he's got on talk shows and be like, yeah, it's, it's great because there's no pressure on me because I'm not going to win, <laughs> like, <laughs> um,
3: because he's like, yeah. But also, Robert there's James no Junior's pressure on him. Cause he just gets to do like wacky, kind of crazy, coked up, really rich brother. Yeah. You know, like those. I don't know. I, thought he I feel like there's. I thought he was poor. Nah, he's he's definitely rich. He's just like holding out yeah. on his. No, nah, he's because he's, he's like a doctor. Cliff, I
2: think his name is. Yeah, Cliff. Not Rich. (laughs) Oh, I'm not Rich. Rich Cliff. Um, Cliff Richards? Speaking of
1: best supporting actor, Richard, Mm -hmm. may you go through the lineup with us?
2: I may. So you've got Sterling K. Brown in American Fiction, Robert De Niro in Kills the Flower Moon, robert Downey jr and oppenheimer ryan gosling and uh barbie and mark ruffalo and poor things it's a, it's a it's a decent it's a, lineup. It's a decent lineup that, that's year, a, yeah. it's, it's a good mix of performances and everything but mm-hmm. of course by the time we get to the oscars nine times out of ten we know who's going to win these awards and it's it, there's no way this isn't going to robert Danny jr
1: which bums me out. I would give it to Ryan Gosling. I'm always more sympathetic when a comedy gets nominated for an acting award. I had the same thing with Maria Baklava in um, Borat 2, where it was like, "Give us this one, Academy. Give us one Academy nominated comedic, or uh, you know, a comedy awarded. Um, a comedy. Comedic. A comedy awarded. <laughs> Academy awarded comedic uh, yeah. performance." Give us one every two years. I'm begging. Mm. Well, I think
2: it's uh, it's uh, the fact that it's nominated is enough, yeah, I reckon, yeah. that it's like because they, they're they so uh, uh, infrequently recognized. But um, Mark Ruffalo on Poor Things is another one that's like a great that that got a yeah, nomination yeah. because he's great in that film and he's playing against type so much as well.
1: Mm, yeah, he is great in that.
2: Mm. But also, and Robert De Niro was also fantastic in, in that. Um, mm-hmm. Supporting Actress, again, this is one that's pretty. We already know. Um Emily Blunt in Oppenheimer America Ferreira. <laughs> yeah. This this is it America Ferreira? This one Ferreira? not as not as uh strong uh, I would say. This that,
1: is this is the worst uh, category. award of the year, yeah. I
2: reckon. You got Emily Blunt in Oppenheimer, Danielle Brooks in the color purple as Sophia. Interestingly, that's another um uh role where two different actors have been nominated for playing it because ah. that's the same role that uh, Oprah played in the original oh. and was nominated for an Oscar for it. Uh America Ferreira and Barbie, Jodie Foster and Nyad, this like weird film that we didn't know about until Jodie Foster and Annette Benning were nominated. And mm-hmm. uh Divine Joy Randolph for the holdovers, which she will win. So what
1: because do we Because reckon- she
2: was fantastic.
1: See see, luckily she is the one person on this list from the films that I've seen that I would give it mm, to yeah. right like that i'm now that i've seen the holdovers i'm a little more at peace yeah, with yeah. this category but like i don't want to necessarily get into the weeds of it but like america Ferrera being nominated is mind-boggling and i think emily blunt being nominated for like clearly the like weak point of christopher Mm. nolan's abilities as a writer like he she he is so bad at writing female characters and awarding the actress who portrayed one of these with a potential oscar is going to send him the wrong message
3: (laughs) (laughs) maybe it sends him the right message Mm. she against all the odds with all of
2: these weights against her, she uh, managed to pull mm, out a good performance.
3: You reckon? Okay. I yeah,
2: also think I'll, I'll take that. that. It's going to be really funny, like because America Ferrera's famous speech in Barbie. That's a big divisive moment. We don't need to get into it, but it's going to be really funny watching that as an Oscar clip. Like literally, it's like an America Ferrera as <laughs> Gloria <laughs> because, from Barbie. Because-
1: you what other be- scene would you show exactly. from that movie to emphasize her I, acting? Yeah. Re- I, I I had that in mind when I rewatched Barbie and it's like there is nothing beyond yeah. that.
2: She's thing. quite good in the Chevy commercial in the ori- in the middle of the film.
3: What? <laughs> there's a Chevy commercial in the middle of the film? Yeah. Th- that's about?
2: a dig at Barbie. There's like that whole there's a very obvious ah. like Chevy like promotional uh, part in the middle of the film first with the car I've chase. heard of
4: it <laughs>
2: yeah that, that's like one of the biggest criticisms of, i've seen um of the film really? especially when it was I nominated
1: casted about this movie four times now and haven't
2: yeah no i, I, I see heard this heard like, like i'm sick of it popping up i was i was getting i was expecting you to both knowingly roll your eyes and be like yeah richard we've heard this um
1: here, here, here goes richard again Talking about the Barbie Chevy, a concept talking that I'm still Chevys. kind of not clear on what actually is. Yeah, well, it's just, it's just
2: the product, right, product placement's very obvious and the, the chase sequence right. is full of logos. and it's, It is
3: it is weird that they had to put it in because, you know, the trucks are so good, they really should just sell themselves. <laughs> I, I ah.
1: agree. I was going to say, I didn't notice that Chevys were being advertised in it, but I did want to drive one when I walked <laughs> out of the cinema.
3: Strangely enough, yeah. Did they have a? Did they have a
2: um, an electric version,
1: perhaps? Is there a number I can call?
2: No. <laughs> All right, so now we've got three films to choose from, and you're all familiar with how it works? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Are you talking to me?
0: (laughs) Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. <laughs>
4: <laughs>
0: so I'm going to count down from
2: three and we're all going to say out of, what have we got left? Anatomy of a fall, holdovers, past lives.
4: Mm-hmm. Three, two, one. Anatomy of a fall.
1: You guys are killing me with your slightly different opinions to mine. (laughs) Well, you're objectively
3: wrong because you lost.
1: <laughs> we got one! We won! God, God I haven't heard a you're objectively wrong in years. <laughs>
3: that's so strange because you seem to be on the wrong side of uh, these that's votes strange. all the time. Uh, so, yeah, I'd just like to point out that I
2: haven't been wrong yet <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> throughout that's this whole podcast. True.
1: And I'm like, damn, he's right. Damn <laughs> it,
2: I have to accept it. Uh, Aaron, do you want to tell us what Anatomy of a Fall is about in old terms? I
3: love to. Anatomy of a Fall essentially uh, follows the trial of a uh, mother a- who... And tribulation.
1: Trial and
3: tribulation, yeah. There's a lot of tribulation in Anatomy of a Fall. Ooh,
1: if you like tribulation, you're going to love this. This is
2: the film for you.
3: Yes, it uh, essentially follows the trial of a German novelist Sandra Voiter, um, who has moved to. She moved to Cross. Germany.
1: Grenoble. France? No, she's German. Oh, she's
3: German. She's moved to France with her husband, Samuel Mileski, who is a uh, f- also a writer um, and essentially the trial follows uh, the death of her husband, Samuel um, who mysteriously falls or potentially was pushed out of the top story of their house. Um, and yeah, it, the, the movie is like two thirds just about the trial of this woman and kind of going through the court process and all of the kind of justice processes and then right at the end um, you get the verdict and uh, they move on with their lives or do they who knows what happens mm. I don't know I'm not giving anything away um, <laughs> The most not
1: right now but maybe if the conversation leads there we will <laughs> exactly
3: um, some of the more important things to note about the film um, the uh, the dog in it uh, deserves an Oscar nomination Missy. Um, and that's really about it. Um, oh, they have he, a visually he gave impaired his four son. Four favourites
1: on Letterbox this week. <laughs> oh, really? <I> saw that. <laughs> yeah. There's an. I didn't edit it, but there's an interview that they did where he's just barking into the microphone, and a bunch of like art house films <laughs> come up. It's like what he's saying. It's great. <laughs> it great.
4: Yeah.
2: So, yeah, I, I I thought this was a great film. Like, um, yeah, mm, loved yeah, loved it. loved yeah, it. so good. Fantastic film. Uh, so yeah, when I when. We put won this- the
1: palm door won the palm door we need to acknowledge yeah, this. That's that, true. that that gives us that gives it um like uh, a, a stake a stake to the best picture crown you know like that's a that a claim to the crown you know what i'm saying like yeah. like winning the palm door often is indicative of the best picture winner am i correct
2: you are very much not correct actually really um, i
1: thought it was one of these these good signs that happened no nah,
2: so long. uh looking back
1: no actually the palm doors never won uh, uh you, so you literally couldn't be more wrong aj so uh well <laughs> it, it, it is an
2: interesting thing that like um you yeah you would think obviously that it's gonna be one of the big things right but um triangle of sadness won it last year and then was nominated for best picture um 2019, Parasite won the Palm Door, and they went on to win Best Picture. The, there, um, there you go. There you go. the The last it, winner, the last um winner of both before that was The Pianist in 2002.
1: Jesus Christ, never mind. And <laughs> then before that,
2: maybe, uh, no.
1: Was t- did Titan? win it, the yeah. Palm Door, and that wasn't even nominated for Best Picture that year.
2: Yeah, no. Mo- mo- uh, most of these aren't um I'm trying to f- find wacky.
1: Oi, that's so fucking wacky. I can't believe it.
2: Sounds like this Palm
3: Door is a real albatross around the neck of whatever <laughs> film wins.
2: <laughs> um it's it also it's worth mentioning it won the Palm Dog Award for best dog performance.
1: <laughs> I I ranked this um
2: <laughs> That's a real uh, thing I well. Are you serious? So I ranked yeah. What? There's an <laughs>
3: award at at the Cannes Film Festival for yeah, best since, dog performance. But since like 2001. Do they have dogs every year? I guess. <laughs>
1: a lot of films play at Cannes.
3: Um, mm. A lot of dogs act.
1: A lot of dogs act.
3: <laughs> it's a very popular profession for dogs.
1: I ranked this uh, fourth out of ten for the record. And so out of the five we're doing today, I've ranked it second
2: nice um three films have ever won both awards aj just for the record
1: hey we've spent so much time in like clarifying how wrong i am let's talk about anatomy well
2: hey maybe just don't be subjectively wrong um dipshit
1: maybe don't have a podcast aj yeah well Uh,
2: speaking of
3: objective versus subjective
1: oh did she do it guys yeah what do you think did she do it? Did Sandra Sandra Hula do it?
2: it? It's interesting. So, and also um, worth mentioning that Sandra Hula is also in Zone um, of interest. interest. But the
1: and I mean, Issa Rae is in um, American Fiction and Barbie as well. Yeah. So there's a couple of mm. of pop-ups this year.
2: Yeah, I remember it was the year of three billboards. It was like fucking every film had more than, like mm. people crossing over.
1: Caleb Landry Jones. Yeah, he was in like three was of every them. in every fucking film.
2: Yeah, but the it's interesting. And now, I, I, where is he? <laughs> Where'd he go? I, yeah, I, I, I never really questioned her innocence, um, personally. Really? Yeah. no I, I thought, thought she I thought, was
1: guilty the whole time. Yeah. Or at least for a lot of it, I did.
3: I was like, she did it, and then partway through, I was like, shit, yeah, she didn't do it, and then later <laughs> on, I was like, she did it,
1: and I, then I, yeah, and it's
3: yeah. it's
1: so good how it you know you say to someone at the start of the movie it never tells you if she did it or not and you go fuck i want to know though Mm. i want to know the truth and then it's what's great about this movie is that a lesser movie would have you still feeling frustrated with that result at the end of the movie but the movie so becomes about like hey what if your life was exposed Mm. to everyone the good the bad the things that look a lot worse than they are the Mm. things that mean a lot more when they're being used against you in a court case than they ever mean at the time, you know, like they they play a taped argument that she had with her husband. Um, and she sort of her rebuttal to it is like, you say this shit when you're married to someone mm. for Twenty years you know it's so good and it's so, like the boy her son in it oh, he's um, so good. such a such an incredible performance um from him it goes in such interesting places and uh i thought it was really good my my one kind of pause on it was it very interestingly for such a highbrow film it has it has a very lowbrow uh, musical accompaniment um where an instrumental version of pamp by 50 cent uh permeates and at least the first half or so of the film, because literally the first um,
2: half hour of the film it is playing very loudly throughout the whole all thing. the time. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, Samuel is listening to it when he dies, basically, um, and so to it's annoy her. the house. Yeah, yeah, and it, it keeps coming up. And again, it's such a fun, like a funny song mm-hmm. to be in a movie with with zero jokes in it. You know, mm-hmm. um, and my only note is I kind of wish that had paid off and a more
2: 50 cent of the trial
1: kind, <laughs> no not exactly but like once it's a stab once they bring up that it's pimp because they don't say that till they're in court and they're like he was listening to this very sexist song did this offend you is this is this why you killed him and i was thinking about it because like you know i know we i don't think either any, any of us love this movie but jordan peels us um the way that that movie used I've got five got on five. it. Is I think about that all the time, right? Like mm. that's the part of the movie that that sticks with me so much. I love, love, love how it's integrated into the score itself and and is like plays during the climax of the film. And I just felt like the, i needed a, some kind of mm. catharsis to actually hear 50 cents voice like come through the and i was thinking like like i was reading reviews on letterbox for it and one of the one of the reviews was imagine if um the husband died because he was just dancing so hard to pimp that he fell out the window mm. and I, I said to the person i saw this with i was like imagine if that was the final scene of the film and for about three seconds i was like i've come up with the most brilliant idea ever <laughs> and then i then the, the person i was with was like that would have ruined the movie <laughs> <laughs> and, and i agree of course it would but i'm just saying like if anything i just wish it had kept playing throughout the whole movie instead of disappearing mm. after a wee while i
3: reckon that's the point though no no neat endings justine at no neat endings
1: Oh, very good, Aaron. Yeah. You're really making me question every opinion I have. Question everything. <laughs> That's
2: what I was always told. I I um it's funny, yeah, the, the, the thing of um P A M P was like I found that so frustrating for the first mm-hmm. half hour of the movie because it was just this it's it's like a steel drum sort of thing, and it's like and I and the whole time I was like It took me a while because I was like, fuck, what is it? And I was like, this sounds so much like P-I-M-P. And I was like, oh my God, use (laughs) a different song because it's so distracting how much this sounds like P-I-M-P. And then it's not until literally an hour and a half of the film that they go, hey, he was listening to P-I-M-P. And I was like, oh, so it was meant to be there. Because I was just like waiting to get out of the film and to say to Jess, like, that sounded like P-I-M-P, right? It's not just me. <laughs> and expecting her to be like, no, what the fuck? Um, but no, it actually just was the song.
3: It's weird that, I don't know about you guys, but I found that so funny. Because immediately I was like, why are they playing a Barumba version of P-I-M-P really loudly? And it's like, I would say maybe like the one bit of humor throughout the whole movie. It's just like this really yeah. weird choice of music. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, and yeah. The, the rest of it's just like European art house naturalism for like two and a half hours <laughs> for the
1: start. Also, how how great is it that um, the lawyers' it's the were first hot. movie I I've ever seen. <laughs> it's the first movie I've ever seen where um an a main, a character having a different accent to the to everyone else is like the the story's not possible without it mm. because so much of this comes from the fact that she's pretty rusty with French mm. and so she can speak English and German but they, they're like you have to speak French in court mm. and it's so like oh god imagine if your innocence your your ability to not go to jail relied on you to speak a language you weren't confident a third or fourth so, language, yeah. it's so it's so scary right yeah. like it's such terrifying. a that would that would be terrifying you know it would feel so unfair.
3: It's a great Mm. kind of metaphor for just being exposed to the justice system, Mm. you know, like, and then imagine Mm. that. But then another layer of someone's like, all right, Aaron, we're conducting this trial entirely in Te Reo Maori. And then you Mm. have to be like, oh, like, I know (laughs) phrases, but. Yeah, Yeah, and and it's my fault. I should know
1: this. I've been living here.
3: (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know what? Yeah, I should be convicted of this murder for
2: not learning that (laughs) I (laughs) am." Um it's a, like I wonder if Sandra Hula is going to become like uh, um, Christoph Waltz, where it's like... I was mm.
1: just about to say that, totally. Because well, she's brilliant in this. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I
2: said it first. There's no indication that you well, going I've to say it that. Well, I've said it
1: second to support you um, because what a real leader does, Richard, is not do something first, but does something seconds to to vali- validate the person who did it first. But the, What yeah, I did was actually supportive.
2: That's um, because, like, you know, bursting onto the scene, especially, you know, what a huge year for her, that, like, breaking through to american markets and, and the rest of the world after you know what i'm sure is a pretty respectable career in i mean she's in tony erdman which was um quite big but the uh but yeah this like multilingual we didn't know an an, an actor like this existed um yeah, yeah, so yeah she's she's the third uh german actress to ever be nominated for best picture um and the first one since 1937 so the first 10 years of the Academy were what very German. What a strange German, time uh, heavily, for, yeah.
1: for Germans to be doing well <laughs> to the Oscars. Stop,
2: nomi- stop nominating. S-
1: I'll say it. The worst time in history to nominate Germans for the Oscars. Oh, <laughs>
3: no. Nah, to be fair, three years later. Two yeah. years oh, okay, later.
1: No f- oh, yeah. All right. Fair enough. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I, did AJ just expose that he doesn't know when World War II started? <laughs>
1: Look,
4: <laughs> I know. I know something?
1: when it started. We don't need to talk about it. When? And, and like after thirty-seven.
3: Like w- one year later, two years later, four years later.
1: Like, if if the scale is a million, that's an that's a roundup round up to the to, to the date. Then yes. It happened in 1939.
2: All right, what else do we do? <laughs> That's just how long it took him to Google that. The, so um,
1: You you get my recording, Richard. You can hear there will be nary a pitter-patter of a keyboard, and you'll put one in because you're editing these now, but I don't care what everyone else thinks. I want you to know that I knew when World War II happened.
4: <laughs> I'm going to add in. Uh, hey, Siri. <laughs>
2: so uh, yeah best are uh, the lead performances best actor you got bradley cooper for maestro uh, coleman domingo and Rustin, who, which is a movie i haven't heard a lot what? about but i've what? i've seen a lot of coleman <laughs> domingo um lately i was
3: watching um uh graham norton earlier tonight and i saw it on there and i was like oh so that's the guy who's been nominated for best actor what's he in would i know who he
2: is uh, he he's been in a bunch of stuff. He was in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Um, oh, okay. he was in If Beale Street Could Talk. He was in Selma. Um, mm-hmm. what else? Oh, he's he's got a separate Wikipedia page for on screen and stage. He directed. Ooh, very... uh, fe- that se- man like with four two Wikipedia pages. Wow, of, uh, good lord! Fear the Walking Dead randomly. Um, that is pretty random. Yep, he was in Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken. He's going to be in Driveway Dolls. Kraken? Yeah.
1: Is that word not pronounced Kraken?
2: Kraken. I always
1: get celebrity names wrong because I'm a, I'm a doofus and Richard always gets uh, mythical creatures wrong. Because
3: <laughs> he's a doofus.
1: Because he's a doofus. Because he's got no respect for cryptozoology. <laughs> Richard's like, I know it's pronounced Sasquatch, okay?
2: that's uh, uh, According to Google, it's Kraken.
3: <laughs> Wait, do they pronounce it or they just spelled it differently?
2: Uh, the, the the British pronunciation woman says, "Kraken." It's a kraken.
1: It's a kraken.
2: Bring in the kraken. I not take that seriously. Who's yeah, I mean, winning, best actor? Uh, yeah. Anyway, sorry, I didn't even get through the whole list. <laughs> Paul Giamatti and the holdovers, Killian Murphy and Oppenheimer and Jeffrey Wright In American Fiction decent lineup i mean you know bradley cooper for all of maestro's flaws it is a good performance and he's putting a lot into it um yeah this Love is going him. to kill Ian murphy uh He's very good in the film. He carries that film. Um,
1: I I love Killian Murphy. Always have. Yeah. Always have loved Killian Murphy since 28 Days Later. I, when I was a teenager, he was my favorite actor. So I'm, despite not liking Oppenheimer that much, I'm stoked that Killian Murphy's probably going to get an Oscar. Mm. I think that's awesome. He's such a good actor.
2: And then, best actress. This one actually is kind of a close race. Uh, Annette Benning, Lily Gladstone, Sandra Huller, Carrie Mulligan, and Emma Stone. And this one is sort of between I would say it's favoring Emma Stone but it's between Emma Stone and Lily Gladstone so it's probably going to a stone actress um just which one <laughs> but the, the there's there's it's now becoming uh, there's I've seen a little bit of talk online about like you know does Emma Stone really need another Oscar and um
1: yeah is Emma Stone a two Oscar actress and also
2: like taking away the chance for like the first, Native American woman to win an Oscar, potentially.
1: And I will hold Emma Stone personally accountable for that, Mm. if that does happen.
3: First time that'll have happened since uh, Marlon Brando won his Oscar.
2: (laughs) Very nice. So, before we get to director and best picture, we have two films left to talk about, Past Lives and The Holdovers. And I want to check with you guys... But based on are these two films your top two films? No. Uh yes, I'd say they're in the top 3.
3: I was thinking hmm. about this the other day. I can't really decide between these two and Oppenheimer which my like Yeah. Which is number 1, 2 or 3, but I put them all in the top 3. Yeah. I'd bro- It's
1: pretty it's pretty, pretty big difference for me. Wow. Because I'm just an asshole.
3: You hated the holdovers. Why did you I, hate I, them so
1: I totally, much? I totally didn't hate it. I totally didn't hate it.
4: All right. <laughs> I,
1: I I won't really have anything bad to say about it. I just think well, it should be the next. We'll film we see. Talk we'll about see. It. Okay. Three. <laughs> let's see
2: if Aaron's going to be objectively wrong for the first time. Three. Uh, probably. Two. One. The holdovers. Ah uh-huh. We, we all him.
1: have one. You got too. I, I do actually.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, the holdovers, Aaron. Since you it's, since I know it's you've your love
1: it so much, why since- don't you tell us what it's about, then, Mister Holdover Lover? Why
3: don't you marry the holdovers if you're so <laughs> in love with it? All right, let's do this thing. The holdovers is a Christmas classic. Did he say that? Yes, he did. Um, set in oh Christmas, did December 1970. Um, the film is essentially about uh, an exclusive private boys' school where uh, a teacher, Paul Hunnam, played by uh, Paul Giamatti, is um, out of favor with the establishment or the uh, higher ups at the um, school. And so he is basically forced to stay over the Christmas break while all the students go home and look after, stay at the school and look after any of the holdovers that are left, that being students whose parents can't take them during the holidays so they have to stay at school. And the film is essentially about three characters. Um, uh, Who are the characters' names? Uh, They are Paul Hunnam... um, uh, who is played by Paul Giamatti? Um, Mary Lamb, who is played by Divine Joy Randolph, who uh, is the cook at the school, who is also staying over um, because she uh, lives at the school. Over, Aaron. Holding over, <laughs> <laughs> indeed. Um, and uh, Angus Tully. The- Angus Tully.
2: There you go. Played by Dominic Sessa. His first um, film performance. Which
3: his fir- wh-
1: What's the story? He he showed up to the audition to support his friend and. Alexander Payne was like let's get him to audition what's he like right. like it's a sideshow Mel sideshow Bob right. sideshow Cecil. Uh, uh, none
2: story. of what AJ just said is true but the um <laughs> but it was essentially that <laughs> objectively they wrong they they ran through all the auditions and then they were like nah, no one's quite right so they just went to drama schools in the area and were like do you have anyone that could be in a film and they put forward um his name
1: that's a lot less interesting than how I put it. I'm starting to think that maybe objectively wrong can still be subjectively more
4: interesting.
1: <laughs> Do you know what as well? I've been telling everyone that story and it's not even true. I didn't make it up. I heard it somewhere. Wow. Life sucks, man. I've just been spreading bullshit to everyone. <laughs> People just like, no everyone hates me. Yeah,
2: he was selected amongst 12 students who auditioned for the role. Uh, apparently Paul Giamatti really fought for him to get it.
1: That's
3: nice. Shit! Yeah, he's got an eye for talent. He's also in this movie got <laughs> one googly eye. So what's the
1: deal? Does Does Paul Giamatti have a lazy eye that he's just been hiding this whole time?
3: No. Nah, because it changes. Um, it that's changes one of the details of eye the eye. movie. Yeah, yeah. His character uh, notoriously has one sort of. I guess I don't know what the technical term for it would be, but I would say like a bung
2: eye or like a googly <laughs> eye. Um, a, a lazy and like, eye. Yeah, so
1: what, it, do, we, do we know how they pulled it off there? Uh,
2: it's an opaque contact con- lens. Yeah. So he ah. actually couldn't see out of that eye during filming um, and said ah. it was difficult during um, doing the scenes where he has to drive and park. But there's a really funny interview with Howard Stern where he's talking about it and Howard's like, oh, like I was watching the film and I was like, does Paul just have a fucked up eye and I've never noticed this before? <laughs> and then- um, and Paul says, like, yeah, I had a lifelong friend of mine call me after the film and be like, Paul, do you have a fucked up eye? And I'm just. <laughs> <laughs>
3: it's so accurate. That's exactly how I felt halfway yeah. through. I was like, does Paul Giamatti have, like, a. Just we've never noticed? Because
2: sometimes I mean, it's no. quite subtle and then it's, sometimes it's it's crazy. Mm, but then, yeah. yeah, like you said, it changes. There's like. a a running or there's like a bit uh, halfway through the film where they say like which eye are we supposed to look at and then like his sort of like emotional final scene is like he goes this one and he points to the one to his good eye and then it cuts and in the next scene it's changed
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's 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 a it's a moment i have a note for and richard i'm sure you'll be able to guess what my note for that beat is
2: it's a boss baby moment
1: It's a Boss Baby moment. You need to bring up the which eye do I look at in the first scene of the movie. It's it's past the halfway mark that it's brought up and then he gives the payoff half the movie later. And I, I, it, that would be such a better balancing if it was like the first thing people say about him is like what, they don't know which eye to look
3: at. Mm. But it's probably the first thing you think about, right? When you mm. see someone you're with a lazy right. eyes, you're, that you're like, yeah, oh, which eye point. do I look at? Oh, Aaron's God. right
2: again. Uh, but, sorry, Aaron, again. Aaron you, look, didn't, but, but um, I, you didn't quite I, finish I the, humble. <laughs> didn't, didn't quite finish the, the plot there. So yeah, it, it ends yes. up being that he's stuck with just one kid.
3: Yeah, so he and uh, the kid that he's left with, and Mary Lamb, uh, three broken individuals, um, spend the movie revealing themselves to each other. Um, uh, yeah, and sort of, I guess, I don't know, healing each other in some sort of small way, potentially. Mm. That's kind of the movie I would say summed up, right?
2: Yeah, it's it's a very like it, it's set in the '70s, and it's very clearly made to look like and feel like it came out in yeah, the 70s. that's, that's um, the best thing about it and is its atmosphere. I interestingly it's about this atmosphere. film, and this is one of these things that's going to be mind-blowing to certain people and some people aren't even going to notice what I'm talking about, but this wasn't shot on film. This was shot on digital, which is like wow. crazy yeah, to look at. That's like all of the effects were done in post, yeah.
3: Can we talk about how good the score is as well? Not the score. Well, the score is great, but also just like the music in the film generally. Mm-hmm. Man, yeah, that's yeah. so good. Goes yeah. from um, moves, goes from Cat Stevens into Kruangbin. Great transition. <laughs> Truly I, tremendous stuff.
1: I um, was putting this one off. I, this was nearly... The, if the Zone of Interest had come out earlier, I would have uh, put... I, the Holdovers would have been the last one I saw. Uh, it was the last one I saw. I I saw this. I saw the trailer for this movie. I knew it was getting best picture buzz, and I was like, "God, really? Does this not just look like this schmaltzy, like over emotional? Like it gave me flashes of Green Book. It mm, gave me flashes. The trailer of crash. Sucks. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, what I will say, and, and going into it, I was like, "I'm sure I'm going to be charmed by this movie." So it's not like I went in defiantly, but. I will say it is all that. It is very schmaltzy. It is very emotional. But Paul Giamatti is so fucking good. <laughs> and the, the 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 three act the three main actors in it all together are just so they bring so much life to their characters in so much so many wonderful, interesting, and nuanced and layered ways that it's like I am just enjoying watching these people be people together mm. and that it kind of transcends the the, the i don't know the sob story i wasn't
2: getting to get into it yeah
3: Yeah, i have to say it's like of all the movies that we've seen it's the only one i think i've cried during even Mm -hmm. past lives didn't make me like cry but this was the like one that kind of hit me most emotionally Mm -hmm. um and i think i was talking about this with grace and she actually made this point um my partner grace um that like the movies that I think I like the most as I like grow older are the kind of very specific, very kind of small stories that are more about like people and like people living their lives and like things but happening rather than on the kind on of right next to them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Those are my favorite movies. I only watch I mean, Zone of Interest. Past
1: Lives not the um the Best example, I re- I reckon Past Lives is more of a just people living their lives movie than the whole. Oh we'll, we'll, we'll yeah,
2: Absolutely. Lives. we'll get to Past Lives.
3: We'll get to I guess that's the point though, right? Is that those are those are the top three kind of movies or two of my favourite movies from the Oscars, and they're both like very specific movies about a very specific thing. But I think that's what makes them like universally appealing is their like specificity. Because if you get like too broad, I think or too like. Uh, metaphorical which I think you know some of the movies in the current Oscar best movie list are a little bit Mm. then you sort of I don't know you get less personal and it's like I don't know it's less interesting for me anyway I don't know how you guys feel I
1: I feel like what gives past lives the sorry to jump ahead the edge over the holdovers for me is that the past lives is a lot more understated and doing Mm. what you're describing whereas the holdovers is very much this is a movie like it's you know it's very um decorative and stylistic whereas past lives feels more like a fly on the wall kind of situation to, to me at least um that's true I think,
3: but I think that's also what makes this, uh, the Holdovers, a great kind of Christmas movie, which is maybe not Mm. something we've touched on, is that it is kind of like wholesome and comforting in a Mm. way that like it's important for a Christmas movie to function that way. And that's like Mm. what a successful Christmas movie is. Um, Mm. Mm. What do you guys think about that though? Do you think, because when I saw it, I was like, surely that's vaulted
2: into like top 10 Christmas movies all time. Mm.
1: Well, it's not a very uh, h- hard list to, prop, <laughs> yeah. to, be honest. I, I will
2: say for the record that, like Alexander Payne, quote, "fucking hates the Christmas film label." Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <directed laughs> well, maybe he shouldn't have made a film about Christmas then, bro. Yeah, I, it, it's just that he doesn't he doesn't want it to be just compartmentalized as just being a Christmas film.
1: The film also goes quite a wee while past New Year's, mm. like. In terms of what you would think a Christmas film would be, and I think maybe that's how m- one of my like invisible rules for how I judge a Christmas movie is: where does Christmas happen in the story? <laughs> because yeah. if it doesn't happen at the end, I think I'm I there's wiggle room to say it's not a Christmas. Well, movie.
2: doesn't like like Christmas Vacation doesn't even take place on Christmas.
1: That's okay though because it's Christmas is still permeating. Christmas is still. like a
2: character in the film.
1: Yeah, and- much like. Much like how Paul Giamatti was really a character. In this
2: <laughs> <one>. <laughs> Not his character, like the actor.
1: <laughs> yeah, the presence of Paul Giamatti <laughs> was its own character. Um, but that.
2: no, yeah, just just like a very fun, warm film. And I think, uh, yeah, that it's like, it did remind me a little bit of Green Book, that it is like, this is the kind of film that win Oscars, but it's just like, it does it, does it immeasurably better than Green Book did. But it's like that, feel good movie where you walk out of it and it's characters it's a smallish story and it's characters learning from each other and healing each other um but it's yeah it, it, like i said you know the, the comparison to green book say, is, it sounds like a slight against it but it's it's not like yeah.
1: the comparison to green book a movie i didn't mind that much yeah um uh i thought holdovers was too long though i thought i i was getting a bit restless by the time it got to the end of its runtime. i feel like it, it dawdles a bit where it doesn't need to disagree um
3: interesting let's couldn't, unpack that. couldn't disagree more and uh that's still going <laughs> i'd still be watching it i'd still be in that cinema
2: in uh kaitaya watching the movie <laughs>
4: uh
2: yeah just a just a nice film it's, it's one of those things it's hard to elaborate on too much because it's just nice
3: Um, how funny is the scene where Paul Giamatti throws
2: uh the football? (laughs) (laughs) I will say that that, like one thing that this film like a, a scene that um encapsulates how good this movie is and also and also is kind of a good segue to past lives as well, is that like so Paul Giamatti, um, his character, he's like very unlucky with women, doesn't, you know, um it implied he's never really been with a woman, but um, one of the other teachers at the school, he sees her outside of school, and he and she's very nice to him. And one of these things, you know, you can tell it's the first time a woman's really been nice to him. And she invites the three of them to her Christmas Eve party, and they're sitting on the couch, and there's a real connection. And he, she, that someone comes to the door, she gets, it, and it's her partner that until then he didn't realize she had and there's it's in the trailer it's like one of the posters of the film i'm pretty sure but there's like this look of like sorrow on his face and it's Mm. and then he sees her again at the end of the film and in a lesser film this would be oh this character has wronged me but it's not he's not angry at all at her even though he's Mm. you know shown to be quite an angry man he's sad that you know this that he can't be with this woman and um hmm. you know he, he never felt like he had ownership over her or she or she owed him anything and then when she sees he sees her again at the end he is still just warm to her because it's like oh this is still the one character that showed me
1: totally showed,
2: showed me affection and yeah like she hasn't done anything wrong and and you know like as a viewer she didn't do anything wrong and to have the character understand that as well as is, is mature of 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 storytelling
1: Totally. And and like I I actually found Paul Hunnam to be like actually a pretty outwardly feminist character in a lot of ways as well like like when one of the students is like saying mary should be doing should be cooking better for them and he like loses his shit because her, her son has died and so he, he's like if you
4: if you knew anything
1: about what this woman is like like he was the whole the whole character is that all the students hate him all the other teachers hate him like he's such a grumpy guy but like i also think he's like one of the better people in the film like, one of the more stand-up people in the film? Yeah,
3: it's that thing of, like, um, someone could be moral but not, like, pleasant, mm. which is such mm. an interesting kind of dichotomy for, like, a lead character. Mm. And s- somehow, yeah, Paul Giamatti juggles that thing of him being, like, an unlikable person to everyone in the world of the story, but then, like, to the audience. You're mm. like, this guy's the best. I love mm. this guy. Mm. He's a mm. lovely well, it's like, guy. It's like AJ. Thank you. I was waiting for
1: someone to say that.
2: <laughs> All In right, my googly eye. <laughs> so, just quickly, we'll go over the Best Director nominations. So, you got your Justin Tri- Justine Triet for Anatomy of a Fall, Monskosessi for Kills the Flower Moon, Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer, Yorgos Lanthimos for Poor Things, and Jonathan Glazer for Zone of Interest. I'm pretty confident this will go to Nolan. Mm,
1: yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, that's the... That's what's in the air. That's the electricity in the oh, yeah. air. I, I
2: wouldn't into... even guess who would be second. I would who maybe would go Jonathan Glazer, actually. Hmm. Not not from a team,
3: really, they really need to start giving out second and thirds. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, I wanna know. Right I wanna up. know who was close, who was like this yeah, close. Yeah. And yeah. also by how much. I wanna know by how much.
1: This is this is very kept information Aaron I don't think I don't think the world will be a better place if this information is released. <laughs> I
3: think it would
4: but yeah that's go true like,
3: actually yeah because in your in your mind you can always be like oh yeah but my movie was a close second but you know know maybe maybe it wasn't maybe it was yeah, fifth Yeah, exactly exactly
2: uh, all right so on to our final film uh, everyone everyone understand the rules how of the film's mm. remaining I'm gonna say you and <laughs> then we all say. Past lives. Oh, Three, oh, two, one. one. Past, Past lives. lives. Past yeah, lives man. is one of the best films I've ever seen. This is incredible, nice. man! Wow, I, I fucking love this great. so much. This is for me. This is so high at the top of my list of the the ten pictures. Like, I I got to see this early, and uh, I was sitting and an empty cinema with me and what I was a film was still a film reviewer at the time. And it was just me and one of the other film reviewers. We watched it at 9am and then it was very much just like, fuck, I can't believe I have to go about the rest of my day. Like with just this, just sitting over me. Um, mm-hmm. And then I got to have like a half hour sit down with Celine song, the director, uh, when she was in New Zealand. And it was, it was the last interview I ended up doing. Uh, there was the last article I published for One News was the transcript of that interview, and so this is a very special film to me for a lot of reasons outside of, mm. but also just like, oh my god, what an incredible film! I'm sure I will bring up tidbits from my interview as we talk about it, but just for the general what the film is about, it's like it's a very simple plot in a lot of ways. You have these two childhood sweethearts. Um, Sung and Na young who changed I'll just call I'll call her Nora because that's what she changes her name to but Nora and Heisung are 12 year old classmates in Korea and then they develop feelings for each other and then suddenly Nora moves to New York City um and heyung she moved to Canada first hmm. oh, yeah yeah well, but um, Canada yeah it, 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 yeah she goes to Canada and then um she Sung ends up getting in contact with her they reconnect but things just don't line up quite perfectly um there's clearly a romantic interest between them uh the one that got away this kind of thing and then she she says i'm going to move to new york i want to focus on my writing for a bit we should stop talking and then she immediately meets this guy this white guy arthur and they end up falling in love and getting married and then the again some sometime later um Hee Sung ends up coming to America, and you now have this awkward love triangle where she is now married to this guy who loves her dearly, um, and she loves him dearly, and Hee Sung is now, you know, in this situation where he obviously loves her a lot, but he's doesn't want to overstep his boundary or anything like that, and. It's just about these three people trying to coexist and and the thing that, and this is what I was talking to the director about and then that I sort of said about the last film, that it's like you have, I I, I said to her, like, there is a version of this film where the two guys are played by Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn (laughs) and... It is like,
4: <laughs> and, and,
2: and it's like a slapstick comedy, right? Like you can imagine the, like this storyline, the totally. broad, the broad strokes of what I've just said, but it's a comedy and the two guys have this total brawl. And she realizes, you know what? I don't want to be with either of you. And she said that it's like the, she laughed at my little joke, but um, she said that like, there is something, you know, we're so used to watching adults act like children for drama but there is something so compelling about adults acting like adults. And that's what, it's like all these three people that love each other in different ways, have um, respect for each other in different ways. And... Yeah, like when Arthur was introduced, I was like, "I'm sorry to hate this fucking guy," because I these two need to be together. But then there's <laughs> nothing wrong with him. Like he is such a nice guy. He clearly wants what's best for Nora, and he, he doesn't want to destroy her relationship with ha- Haesung or anything. Um, yeah, I, I will just before we get to you guys that like, I should point out the title of the film "Past Lives" comes from this Korean idea of Inyon, which is. The idea that any connection you have between anyone, you and anyone else, is like um, you have all these different layers of inyon, and so it's like you know you might pass someone on the street and you're inyon with that person, and in twenty lives ago you were married to that person, a hundred lives ago you were mortal enemies, and I have the you know one of one of the best moments of my career is Celine Song telling me that her and I Yun with each other
1: nice yeah man that's that's awesome that's so beautiful and and like it's always it's always uh great to see like a friend e- encounter one of their favorite movies of all time I <laughs> think so it's it's very sweet um I, had to oh, give this I, I movie- think it's pretty shit
0: though uh, let me just uh,
1: <laughs> um I had to give this movie a second chance something I don't do yeah, very why, often why that but I you? I did not see this movie under the best circumstances the first time I saw it. I was in a cinema falling asleep, like nodding off the whole time and just received the whole plot, but did not like really appreciate the nuances of it. I was, There were moments where I would read the subtitles, then I'd let my eyes zone out until the next subtitle comes up and then I'd refocus on the subtitling because I was that tired and I was like... I definitely need to give this another go. Yeah. Do you know
2: um, a, a horrible way to watch movies? A great way to watch Moon Age Daydream, the David Bowie documentary. I watched like really? that. Like <laughs> sit in the front row, watch it on the biggest screen possible and be drifting in and out of consciousness. Mm. Life-changing experience. But so how, how was it? How was it on your second viewing then? Yeah. So rewatch
1: the film and. Um, under much better conditions and fuck it's so good it's so (laughs) good and I loved it so much it went from a I think a four star to a five star film for me I I loved um, you've basically said everything I loved about it Richard but but like just the like it's so interesting to see a movie that in the film itself is called out as being like the plot of a bad rom-com and see what happens when no one's the bad guy like it's one of the only movies where the notable absence of a villain is like to the the film is to the film's credit right Mm. um it's so good also um if you uh if you are generous this is one of four best picture nominees that are about like writers right like or, or novelists even mm. um because you've got past lives anatomy of a fall an american fiction and in the holdovers he's of course writing his mono script or whatever
2: it's i called. am monogram i thought you're going to say that um, maestro he's a was a writer but he if, writes music
1: if you wanted to stretch the um the parameters further you could include maestro i would also say um main character in all of us strangers is a, is a tv writer but that feels more like famously
2: him. not nominated
1: exactly and also if it did get nominated it'd, it'd just be another like well hollywood loves movies about movies
4: yeah, right.
1: um but in this movie the um the husband's the novel that he's written is called boner and then it's just never, you're never told what it's about. It's never spoken aloud. He's just at a book signing at one point and the book is called Boner. And I think that's pretty weird. <laughs> Do you know what it reminds <laughs> me of? Other Best Picture nominee that the three of us have talked about is when that, that woman in Three Billboards talked about how big Woody Harrelson's dick was. <laughs> like just this random out-of-field dick <laughs> joke <laughs> that that the film feels better than that goes nowhere.
3: Oh uh... yeah. It's a real marimba version of um, (laughs) P.I.M.P.
4: Yeah.
3: I wish I had something intelligent to add about this movie, but it's just so good. Add something dumb if you want. Uh, I don't even have anything dumb or interesting to say but it's so well acted it's like it's so kind of specific and small in a way that like you know that so many fucking people in Hollywood or positions of power would be like oh I don't get it if they like read the script or whatever you know like mm. so much of the power of the the movie is in like the performance and the kind of like small moments between the characters and all of that stuff like it's just so well rendered um, yeah the performance performances are great the um, lead actress I think has like done a lot of theater Mm. um, and you can kind of tell because of just like the way that she performs is very kind of embodied like you know I'd kind of contrast with that with um uh, oh, uh, hey, sung is that the yeah, yeah. man? Yeah. Yes, um, yeah, he's like very kind of rigid and like locked in his body, and it's all kind of happening in the head mm. kind of region. Um, whereas she's just like the whole thing's happening here, and it's like, I don't know, just beautifully embodied. I
2: thought mm. it's, um, it's interesting as well, it's worth noting that the the film so celine song this is her directorial debut and she has come from writing theater and and stuff but the it's it's a semi-autobiographical film where and a lot of the sort of the general concept happened to her and and i was talking to her about it that like sort of having that moment of she was sitting in a bar which is like the key point of the film it's how the film starts and then ends up um later on we sort of start a media res that um sitting at a bar between... Oh, it's such
1: a good opening scene. It's, it's, so, it's such when I a saw the
2: op- when opening scene. When I saw the opening scene. scene, I was like, this is so fucked. AJ is going to love this. And then yeah, you gave yeah. the film, like, four stars. He's like, yeah, I was all tired, bro. Um, but the... Yeah, it starts off with, like, you see these three people... Um, Uh, Nora her husband and well essentially Nora a white guy and an Asian guy and it's a voiceover from you're watching it from the point of view of people sitting across the bar from them and they're playing that game of like okay what's the relationship between these two between these three people and they're like, yeah, I don't know. It's just hard. But yeah, Celine song found herself in that situation between her husband and her childhood sweetheart. And she was the translator. And just the idea that it's like these two people from such separate parts of her life and two people who, who should have nothing to do with each other are connected by their love for her essentially. But what's really funny. And I brought this up on another podcast is that the, the, so Celine song is the insert for um great for nora in this film but the husband in real life so she saw this love triangle and wrote this beautiful film about you know, all, all these things we've talked about and then her husband in real life is also a writer, and he wrote the upcoming movie Challenges, which is also about a love triangle, but we had, the film's not out yet, but based on the trailer, the way they sort their love triangle out is they both bang her at the same time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> her, her husband and writer of Challenges also have famous vintage face morph YouTube artist. <laughs> Remember when <laughs> you would use face warp on the like on the on the IMAX? This is the dude that if you if you know if you're familiar with the genre, this is the dude that made the potion seller um video, which is re- truly an all-timer uh YouTube video, I think. And if you his name is very hard to pronounce. It's like Justin Kurtz. Um, and his channel is so funny. And it's all you feel stupid laughing at it. Because it's all face morph shit, yeah. but he he essentially uses different morphs to play different characters, and he's so fucking funny. There's there's one where where he's he's just he'll like move into this fucked up face, and he'll be like, "People change, Rod. People change." And then he's like, "Oh yeah, but everyone changes. You can't get mad at people change, Rod." It's so funny. It's <laughs> it's oh, you got to watch it.
2: Um,
1: look up "People Change, Rod."
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Past lives, man. This is like... So good. Might be my favourite film of the 2020s so far, to be honest. Nice. Yeah. So many great details.
3: Like the 12-year thing being
2: like the kind of, you know
3: important because it's like the 12 signs of the zodiac so you've kind of gone through one yeah, yeah. cycle of your life or whatever yeah uh there's so many small like details about it that are so good one
2: one thing that's um i want to mention as well because i saw a lot of people talk about it and i asked um Celine about it is that like i saw a lot of people be like oh the the best thing about this film is the way she shoots new york and uh, like i haven't been to new york so it's not something i can necessarily comment on too much but it's like yeah and it was shot on location and um celine song has said in many interviews that like the 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 two biggest divas on set were the camera which this was shot on film and um new york city is that like just dealing with those two things was just such a ball like yeah but like like it just encapsulates the scale and it's shot from a a much more like pedestrian point of view Mm. um Mm. Which is that's definitely yeah. something I noticed when I was watching that film because
3: I I'm going to New York later on this year and the first time I'd like seen a movie and been like whoa that's like crazy this city is crazy mm. and I'm gonna be there but I don't when, know yeah It was are that experience going to New York of putting it there Uh when am I going to New York I'm going to New York in like May June like uh, mid June I think why is that eager I, oh, I, 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 I
1: might, might be going. And um, oh. probably September or August. For what for, reason? Just a ho- uh, just going on a holiday. I'm go- actually going to Canada, but we're hoping to um, get to New York as well.
2: Yeah. Cool, man. But the I, I think it's what the, it's because it's shot f- sort of through Ha perspective of like a pedestrian or like a um a tourist seat for the first time. But um, one other that like my my favorite little bit of behind the scenes trivia that she told me is that um. Yeah, when they're talking, and it's sort of when the when they've reconnected in this period of time, they're sort of starting to fall back in love before she cuts it off. When it's sort of highlighting the issues, not only are they having to deal with time differences and everything, but the internet's not always good. Is that Celine Song was there on set with a dial, which so that those those calls were recorded live in like separate rooms, um, like next door to each other, but but live, and she had a dial that could um control how good the signal was between the two of them and so just as they were getting into it she would make the internet lag um and so that was all done live awesome yeah. wow mm. that's amazing yeah so that is the films also I should mention um this is only nominated for screenplay and picture which is it's fucking bullshit there
1: was a there was a time when this was like everyone's pick for the the win. I yeah. feel like when it first
2: dropped. Yeah, when, when when I did the interview, um, I I was talking to her about the odds, and I was like, "This is pretty high." Like, I I, th- I also, she she should have been nominated for best director. Like, I also th- I would put her you know, so high above Greta Gerwig to be nominated for best director. <laughs> I
1: I would also say that the three leads. I, this mm. isn't a game where I'm replacing who was nominated, mm. but the three leads. I was like these are all such such good performances. Mm. Like I don't I don't know if you could only nominate one, I don't know which one I would mm. I would necessarily choose, you know. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Also so um a, a John Magaro who plays um Arthur is married to a Korean woman in real life, so he already has like a little uh. bit of Korean. And yeah, he was like do, do you want me to brush up um cuz like I know a little bit I guess And she was like no That is the perfect amount to know <laughs> Like yeah, what yeah. you pick up being married to A Korean person That's all you should mm. know
1: mm. Nice Well that is our Oscars cheat sheet Duology episode done for the year We will be back in another two weeks We do weeks. have
2: one award left to cover Which is what do we think is going to win Best Picture Oppenheimer, uh, Oppenheimer. <laughs>
3: Yeah probably Oppenheimer Damn, um, Oppenheimer
1: Yeah, let us know what everybody, what you guys think. You can do that in the Discord, uh, which there'll be a link to in the show notes. Um, You can also support us on patreon.com slash if you'd like. Um, And otherwise, just follow us on all the Mm. uh, evil conglomerates that rule the social medias. Um, Aaron, thank you so much for once again coming in and just laying waste to me. <laughs> every every opinion, everything I said. You didn't just like rebut, but you rebutted so uh, intelligently and in a way that made me look like a worse person after you were finished. So well done. Uh, and we will be uh, yeah back in two weeks for an Oscars post mortem. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. We're doing that this year. So season? it'll be
2: a day or two after the Oscars because we will record it it's a monday utter so the podcast will be late in two weeks
1: there we go um, stay tuned for the post-credit scene after this
4: music ends and we'll see you next week
1: Welcome along to the post credit scene. This is a segment at the end of each episode. Where if you donate five dollars or more over at patreon.com, you get to give us something to talk about and this is the post credit scene. I'm speaking quieter now because it's eleven PM and I am in my room above my flatmates who are sleeping. Uh yeah, um, Jess
2: just so went and Richard. grabbed some headphones uh, to go to sleep. <laughs>
1: Richard, who is the post credit scene from and what
2: is it? Today's one comes to us from Michael Prefontaine who says, If you could put a new word in the dictionary, what would it be and what would be the definition?
1: Oh my god. Scushy. Scushy. Short for discussion. Yep, that's great. Mm -hmm.
3: That's great. Um, Raucous. Is that um, not in or, there? No, sorry, raucous. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So it's something that's so raucous it makes you nauseous.
4: Nice. Uh-huh. nice.
3: And I say that because I once mispronounced that in front of my family and they were like, you fucking idiot. It's not pronounced that way. What are you, like, talking
2: about something that's so raucous it makes you nauseous, you fucking idiot? And you were like, yes, I was. I coined a new term. Yeah. What about, I like, like I was. me being
1: quiet has made everyone else Like, um, raw
2: sus. When like, you know, when when you cook chicken and it's still a little bit pink, and it's like, and it's raw, it's like just a little bit sus that it might still be raw. Mm.
1: What about um quiet-tages It's when you start being quiet That's so everyone else fucking
2: good quiet. AJ. That's, That's pretty probably the smartest good. thing you've ever said. That's the first time I've been legitimately impressed by something you've wow. said.
1: Ended on a high. <laughs>